Hi, I'm Michael Morris. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course. Living for Christ is a choice that we have the privilege of making every day. The Bible is brimming with life-giving truths and rich promises from God. It tells us what He is like and sheds light on His plans and purposes for our lives. The better we understand, embrace, and apply these truths, the richer our personal relationship with Him will be. So what have we covered so far? So far, we've done a module on discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Sorry? To follow Jesus. That's really the simplest and probably the best definition of what it means to be a disciple. To follow Jesus. To follow his teaching. To follow his example. Etc. Etc. Then we spoke about worship. Who can tell me some things about worship? Very good. It's a natural response to the Lord. Worship is what we were created for. Remember? When we are living out our calling and our purpose and the reason God created us, that in itself is worship to God. Yes, worship can be ex- expressed through giving, through singing, through creative, in many creative ways, but ultimately worship is a heart response to who God is. Last week we did the subject of? Righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? Good. And what does that mean? That's right. So, so I owe God nothing. God owes me nothing. God has taken care of every requirement. And, and that despite all the evidence against us, and despite every accusation against us, God sees you as righteous and loves spending time with you. So tonight, this brings us, this idea of righteousness ushers into us into a place of fellowship with God. Amen? It brings us, the whole idea of righteousness is to bring us to a place where we can have communion, fellowship, communication, conversation, direct with the God of the universe, the God who created us. That's the whole purpose of righteousness, so that we can commune and have relationship with God. And our primary <clears throat> form of communication and with God is prayer. So I want you to just for a moment put down your pens, put down your drinks, your chips, whatever it is that you've got, and I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to play you a little clip now. It's two and a half minutes long, so it's not very long. But I want you to just have a listen to how this person defines prayer. What is prayer? Stale tradition, ritual, a good luck charm, part of some religious checklist, done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want, or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused, but at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists. He actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray 
to such a loving God. Wherever we are, how can we not thank Him for what He's done or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from? Why would we live a life apart from Him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in him, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence, because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. <coughs> and so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. Beautifully articulated, isn't it? I think the thing that stands out for me the most, if there's one thing I want you to leave here with tonight, is just a realization that, as she said, the God who created the universe longs for intimacy with you, cares about you, is what, you, what she said. God who created the universe cares about you. He's, he cares intimately about every detail of your life and longs to be involved in every decision that you make. So let's jump to our notes now. <clears throat> Please forgive me tonight for clearing my voice regularly. I am struggling a little bit with my voice, but I know we're going to make it through this without, any too, without too much trouble. <coughs> Prayer is the initiator and sustainer of the believer's relational intimacy with God. It is through prayer that we relate to and communicate with God directly. It's also the way in which, or a way in which God communicates and reveals himself to us. Let's just pause there for a moment. So that means prayer is not a one-way thing where I just talk to God and I tell him what I feel and share my problems and all that kind of stuff with him. Prayer is a two-way thing. What does that mean? That means that in the same way as if I have a conversation with somebody else or I may ask them questions or I may voice my opinion and, and wait for them to share theirs with me, that's what my prayer life with God should look like. You see, that's why we can't hurry prayer. We can't, all right, God, I've got five minutes, I rattle off this prayer, and then I go, why? Because we need time to listen. If prayer is a conversation, how annoyed would you be if you had a conversation with somebody that only just talked? This is a true story. I had a friend at school who, t who knew how to talk. We had a cordless phone in our home. And one day she phoned, and I was sitting with the cordless phone. I went to my bedroom. I was sitting on my bed, and she just talked and talked and talked. And every now and then I'd put in a, mm-hmm, yeah. And this just went on and on. And I got thirsty. So I put the phone down on my bed. I went to the kitchen. I poured myself a glass of orange juice. I came back to my bedroom, put down a glass of orange juice on my bedside table, sat back down, picked up the phone, went, mm-hmm. And she didn't know I was gone. <laughs> now, that is not a conversation. And that's not the kind of conversations God wants us to have. 
Prayer enables us to express our faith and worship to God in a deep, personal, meaningful way. My wife isn't here tonight, but I hope you wouldn't mind, Mishka, if you give me your hand. So imagine that we're on a romantic date, and I'm holding her hand. <laughs> just borrowing, Siobhan, just for a moment. Just borrowing your girlfriend for a second here. And I'm looking, and I'm looking into her. I've got plenty of witnesses here. And I'm looking into her eyes, and I'm saying beautiful things about her, because this is my... You understand? It's, a, it's an intimate moment, okay? Now, I have times when I'm running around and I'm talking to my wife about this and that, and, and, and we, we, we communicate information, but we don't always connect hearts. And prayer should be, sometimes there's, there's, there's communication of information, but ultimately what prayer ought to be is a connection of hearts. Amen? It's the conduit through which we're able to entreat God for His glorious and powerful intervention within our lives and the lives of others. Prayer is literally our hotline to heaven. So the purpose of this lesson is to gain just a foundational understanding of the personal importance of prayer in the life of a believer. I am not going to be talking about intercessory prayer and the prayer of faith and the prayer of agreement and various kinds of prayer that you will hear talked about. What I'm really interested in in a Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course is for each individual to gain an understanding of the importance of a personal prayer life with Jesus, with God, where I can share my heart with Him about my life, about my feelings, about my situations, and hear His wisdom. Where I have been guided as a believer over many years in my journey with Pastor Andreas is He has always pointed me to the place of prayer. I'll come to him for counsel. And before he will give me any kind of counsel, his question would be, what does God say? What did God say? Have you prayed about it? And after a while of having that question asked to you, when you want to go to Pastor Andreas for information, you realize you better go with some kind of what did God say. And so automatically, you learn to pray. You learn to hear from God. You learn to search the word of God to find answers. And then you go and bounce them off him. Also, the purpose of this is to gain an understanding of the tremendous power and divine intervention that prayer releases in our lives, as well as in the lives and circumstances of those around us. So let's start by talking about the power of prayer. Folks, prayer is powerful. James 5 verse 16 says this, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now... What was the subject we studied last week? Righteousness. So are, are there any unrighteous people here tonight? Anybody want to put up their hand to that? Then we have to take you through last week's teaching again. So the idea is that, that prayer, the, 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 the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So in other words, we need to come with the expectation that because we are righteous, we're in right standing with God, my conversation with him avails much. When my daughter has a conversation with me, mind you, she's seven years old, but her conversations with me avail much. She's able to converse with me, understand what I'm saying. She's able to ask me for things. Sometimes I say yes immediately. Sometimes I say no immediately. Sometimes I say wait or not yet or when you're older. You understand? Sometimes I'll tell her to help her sister. Sometimes I'll tell her to help her mom. But all of this gets worked out in a relational way where we can share hearts. And under When she's crying, I come in and I comfort her. When she's being unruly or when she's being nasty or unkind, I come in and I bring correction. 
But there's a beautiful relational aspect there. Our conversation avails much. She influences me and I influence her. The Amplified Bible of this puts it in a, in a wonderful way. It says, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. That's fantastic, isn't it? That means we need to have confidence in our prayers, that we're not just mouthing off things to God, but that there is actual power, that we release power when we pray. Prayer is our primary and probably most powerful tool to bring about kingdom change and influence in and through our lives. Having learned in the previous lesson that we have been made the very righteousness, please forgive the spelling mistake, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we should have great confidence in approaching God in prayer and also great confidence in the power and effectiveness of our prayer. Let me tell you a story. This is not my story. This is a story by a guy called J. John. He's a, a Cypriot British evangelist, and he tells beautiful stories and beautiful anecdotes. And he, he tells a story of a family that bought a little kitten, a brand-new little kitten. And one day, this little kitten climbed up into a tree and got stuck. And try as they might, they tried to climb the tree to rescue this little kitten, but the branches were too sharp, and they were all jagged, and they couldn't reach where this kitten was. And so dad came up with a brilliant idea. He was going to save the day. He said, I am going to get a rope. I'll tie it around the tree. I'll tie the other end to the car. I'll drive the car a little way, and it should bend the tree down, and we'll be able to catch the cat, get the cat down. What a great idea. So dad went into the garage. He fetched his rope. He tied the one end around the tree, and he tied the other end of the rope around the car, to the car. Then he got into the car and slowly started driving, took out the slack and slowly started going a little bit more. And as he went, slowly the tree started to bend. And as he went a little further, the tree started to bend. And just as he was about to stop, the rope snapped. And that's the end of that part of the story. The cat went flying into the distance. The poor little kitten, never to be seen again. You may think, what's the model of that story? Well... It is this. Two weeks later, the pastor was going on his church visits to go and visit various people from the congregation. And he happened to go to one of the members who lived two, two houses down from his house. And as they opened the door, there greeted him this little kitten. But now he didn't kind of want to let on that he knew that this was his cat. And so he sort of said, oh, what a beautiful little kitten. When did you get her? And, she, and, the, and the lady replied, well, actually, that's a funny story. Our son has been bugging us for a kitten for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we keep saying no, and we come up with all kinds of different reasons and excuses not to have a kitten. And eventually, the other day, I was working in the garden, and he was pestering me for a kitten again. And so I said to him, you know, I am not getting you a kitten. The only way you're going to get a kitten is if you pray and God sends you a kitten miraculously. And so my son got on his knees and said, Jesus, can I please have a kitten? And pastor, you're never going to believe what happened. <laughs> As he prayed, over the fence came sailing this little kitten and landed right in his arms. And the pastor thought, what a coincidence. And the point that J. John makes is that when you pray, coincidences happen. And when you don't, coincidences don't. You may say, what a coincidence. He sat and prayed for a cat, and lo and behold, it came over the wall. 
Had he not done that, would it have happened? I don't know. Is it just circumstantial? Is it just a coincidence? I like his saying. He says, when we pray, coincidences happen. God begins to orchestrate things and put things together, which if you just look at them individually, may just seem absolutely circumstantial. I love some other stories I've heard. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But the point is this. When we pray, coincidences happen. When we don't, coincidences don't. So the Bible says in Hebrews 14, verse 16, Let us therefore, in other words, in light of who our high priest is, Jesus, and everything that he has done for us, Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy and find help in our time of need. How does God want us to talk to him? How does he want us to come into his presence? Boldly, as if we belong. As if we belong. So let's define a prayer. Prayer is simply communication with God. That is as, as simple as it can be. Uh, the, another, another word, another way of saying it would be it's a conversation. Sharing hearts and thoughts. So in the same way I can share hearts and thoughts with you over a cup of coffee, I found out that God enjoys sharing thoughts and hearts over a cup of coffee too. He doesn't normally drink the coffee, but uh, that's good because then there's more for me. So God is a person and our prayers to him are a matter of relationship and not ritual. God does not respond to religious form. It is not a form of manipulation, or prayer is not a form of manipulation to get God to do what we want Him to do by observing outward rituals or customs. Prayer is of the heart. And true prayer is the product of a heart that is hungry for God. And you will find this. You may say to me, Michael, I'm not really hungry for prayer. I don't really desire to be to pray. And you know what? That for many, for many well-intentioned, well-meaning believers, that is the truth. That is just the state of heart that they are in. Here's the, an interesting fact. You develop a hunger for that which you feed on. So in other words, if you want to develop a hunger for prayer, you may need to take some difficult steps and, and, and make some tough decisions and set time aside and be very self-disciplined in the beginning. And in the beginning, it might be a little difficult. But you'll find that as the more you do it, the more you will desire to do it. It's just the, the, way, it's just the way we are designed. The more I focus on something, the more my heart gravitates towards that thing. Whatever it now, it may be God, it may be prayer, it may be an, a, another human relationship, it may be a TV program, it may be anything. But the more attention I give to something, the more my heart is going to gravitate towards that thing. So if I want to grow my prayer life, sometimes, in the beginning, it takes a hard yard or two. And my hope is that this will inspire us to find, to, 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 to be into that place of prayer, to get into that place of prayer, that our hunger for it may grow more and more. So let's look at the invitation to prayer. When you receive an invitation to something, it means you are welcome, that you are personally selected. So for my daughter's seventh birthday party, I love telling the story. I'm busy you know, chatting to her about what the theme for her party was going to be, and we decided it's going to be a garden tea party she was going to have for her seventh birthday. And now we're going to design the invitations, and she brings out a piece of paper, and she draws for me what the invitation must look like, and there must be a teacup here and a little girl there, and very detailed 
what this invitation must look like. I said, okay, what must it say? At the top, Dad, you say, congratulations, you have been invited to Leah's birthday party. <laughs> In other words, you have met this, with, been met with a stamp of, you are accepted, congratulations. I love it, I think that's beautiful. You have met the standard. You've been personally selected. Well, you know what? When it comes to us as God, there is a personal invitation that every single one of us receives. Isaiah 1 verse 18, God says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know what really stands out to me in that scripture? He doesn't say, come and let us reason together. He says, come now. When is the best time for prayer? Now. Any moment of the day. You know, God, 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 God's heart, God's office door, if you like, is always open. He's never going to say, come back later, I'm in a meeting. Or let me just finish this one thing. Because our God is an omnipotent God. He's everywhere, all at once, knows everything. That means he can give you his undivided attention 24-7. Even though we very often go, God, I just need to finish this, then I'll give you time. And God, I just need to quickly do this. And by the time we've quickly done this and quickly done that, we find there's no more time. Have you been there? Yeah, we've all been there. But God says, come now. Come now. Let's talk. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, so many people are heavy laden, and they come to the counselor. They, come to the, they go to the spa. I just need a massage. Jesus says, come to me. To me. Not to your pastor. Not to church. Now, is it wrong to go to your pastor? No, of course not. None of those things are wrong. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about a personal, deep intimate relationship with Jesus where I share my things with him. I love this one, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. So God says, I want you to call to me. But he invites you to make the call. Amen? It's like, here's my phone number. (laughs) Here's my phone number, direct line. I'll tell you marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. I love that. (coughs) So there's this clear invitation from the heart of God for us to come into this place of just sharing hearts and having communion with Him. And that brings us to the place of abiding. Now, abiding is the heartbeat of prayer. Let's let's look at, at the Scripture reference there. John chapter 15. It's probably the portion of Scripture, if I look back over my ministry, that I've preached on the most. It's John chapter 15 the story of the vine. And we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read verses 5 and 7 to 8. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now let's pause. We've already looked at that scripture in the lesson on discipleship, or that verse, that understanding. In discipleship, we've looked at it again in worship. I'm, we may well even have mentioned it in righteousness. Without Jesus, without intimate communication with him and communion with him, we can do nothing. We are powerless to live a life that brings glory to God. We are powerless to discover our purpose, our gifting, our calling, 
apart from intimate relationship with Jesus. If you break down the analogy, you understand that Jesus is saying a vine's branch is the part of it that produces fruit, but it cannot produce anything unless it is plugged into the, to the vine so that the life-giving sap can flow into the branch. The fruit that the branch yields is not the product of what the branch does. It's the product of what the branch receives from the vine. Did you get that? And so this interconnectedness is the most vital part. Jesus then says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What a promise. Do you believe that? By this, my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit. In what area? In the area of prayer. That you ask what you desire and it will be done for you by my Father. Because by that, you will bear fruit in your area of prayer and my Father will be glorified. How is God glorified? Because He does that which which you and I cannot do, could not ever do. And so, you will be my disciples. This is how you will be a disciple. What is this? It's a discipleship course, right? That's what we're learning, how to be a disciple. So Jesus is saying here, without an intimate prayer life of abiding in his presence, of understanding, having his word abide in us, and us abide in him, we cannot be disciples. Our life and our fruitfulness in discipleship is determined by our prayer life. So 6.1 there says, the key to fruitfulness in, prayer, in our prayer lives is abiding in Christ. The quality of our prayer lives and our faith will never rise above the level of our intimacy with Jesus. Why? The reason is because they are not formulas or strategies that can be worked outside of intimacy. Faith and trust, which are bound together, you cannot separate faith from trust, are dependent upon personal relationship. Trust is earned, right? Faith comes with knowledge of what is possible. So when I entrust you to do that which you can do, I do that based on a personal relationship, not based on a contractual obligation. Many of us think, so if I was going to hire Karen to do a job, Karen, I want you to paint the auditorium, please. Quote me. All right, Michael, this is what you're going to have to pay. All right. I, give my, I do my part, and then you will do your part. Many of us approach God that way. Right. I will pray so long. I will go to church. I'll pay my tithes, and then you will do this and that and that for me. Deal? God says, okay. <laughs> my promises are whether or not you don't do them, but if you want to put conditions to them, you're the only one who's going to suffer. You see, our relationship with God, His goodness, His blessing, His provision, we're going to get into this in a later lesson, is never dependent upon your goodness. Guys, God loves you. God is crazy about you. And He gives His love and His grace and His mercy and His blessing unreservedly and without condition because of Jesus. The journey of discipleship is learning how to receive that communication and give back worship as a natural expression And what does that worship result in? It results in obedience, walking out and living in the fullness of what he commands us to do. You see, it's interesting. If we notice in verse 7, the word if. So what's the condition? 
The condition is not what you do or do not do. The condition is your connectedness. Did you get that? That's not about works here. It's about connectedness. The measure to which the Word of God dwells in your heart, in other words, how well you know Jesus, and the measure to which you entrust your life to Him will determine the measure of fruit that you bear. Receiving answers to our prayer is dependent on two things. Number one, the level to which we abide in Christ. In other words, we are disciples. We follow Him. We trust in Him. And second of all, the level to which His Word abides in us. Why? Because God answers prayers according to His Word. These two areas are inextricably linked. The more we know the Word, or Jesus, Jesus is the Word of God, the more we are able to abide in it. To, now listen, and be changed by it and experience the glory of it in our lives and thus transform into His likeness. The word abide is an important word. When I say that I have an abode, that means I have a place where I rest, I am settled, I am established, it's my home. There's no other place like it. That's where I belong. That's what Jesus is talking about. We're at home in Him. And like I said earlier on, God gets the glory through answering our prayers. God wants us to bear much fruit in prayer and associates this as the evidence of genuine discipleship. John 15, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Do you see that again? That same principle is worked out. God has called you for what? To produce fruit. Because as you produce fruit, you glorify his name. That whatever you ask the Father, Jesus says, in my name, he will give you. What a promise. Do you believe that? What does that do to my prayer life when I begin thinking that way? God, you promise that whatever I ask you in Jesus' name, according to your will, you will give me. Well, let's, let's move on to that a little bit in, to, in terms of talking about your will. God loves answering our prayers and meeting our needs. He literally looks for opportunities to show himself strong and faithful on our behalf. Here's a scripture I referred to a couple of weeks ago. I told you it was in Deuteronomy. I lied. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So all God is wanting you to do is say, God, I put up my hand. Here I am. Show yourself strong. Show yourself strong in this situation, God. Give me the grace I need. Help me here. Show yourself strong. My heart is loyal to you. I'm going to do this your way. Come hello, high water. We're going your way. We're going to do what you, what you desire. And God can work in our life like that. You see, what God is looking for is yieldedness. Amen? He's looking for availability. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that a bit later. The product of abiding in Christ is that the more we get to know Him, the more we know how to pray according to His will. In other words, we begin to get an understanding of what He's like. I don't need to second guess, God, is this your will or is that not your will? I begin to know what the will of God is, and that guides my prayer. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, 
we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Wow! That's huge! Do you pray with that level of expectation? This is Bible, folks. That's in the Bible. We know that if we pray according to the will of God, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that he has answered our prayer. I haven't got it in the notes here, but there's a scripture that says, every promise in him, in Jesus Christ, is yes and amen. God, can I have this? You promised it to me. Yes, let it be so. God, you promised this. I was just wondering. Yes, let it be so. And I think he gets excited. Let it be, let it be. No, stop hindering me. Stop it. No, get out the way. I want it to happen. (laughs) God gets excited about answering our prayers. But the key there is understanding and knowing his will. James 4 verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. I often say there, you should have asked a mister. (laughs) Because you ask a mister. In other words, you ask for the wrong thing. That you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, your motive in asking that. You haven't captured my heart yet. My son, my daughter. You still got selfishness or self-centeredness in that prayer. You haven't captured my heart for you. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean that praying for blessings for yourself is wrong or self-centered because God promises them to you. God desires to bless you. So is praying for a car or a house or financial blessing or breakthrough wrong or sinful? No. Not at all. And we're going to get into that again also in a later lesson. Understanding the blessing of God. Understanding prosperity. But when my motive is for personal comfort and gratification that will lead me away from the heart of God and perhaps even away from the calling that God has on my life. God's not going to answer that kind of prayer. You see, God is happy to bless me in line with his calling. It grieves his heart when my heart motivation is leading me away for self-satisfaction, for self-comfort, even at the expense of others. So do you understand the difference here? So James says you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask him that you may spend it on your own pleasure. So what has become your God? Pleasure has. My pursuit is no longer Jesus and the kingdom. My pursuit is personal pleasure. I want to tell you something. The pursuit of personal pleasure. I want to say two things about it. Number one, the pursuit of personal pleasure will always lead you away from the call of God on your life, the, the pursuit of discipleship. That does not mean that there is not pleasure in discipleship. The Bible promises us blessings will follow you, blessings will overtake you at, your, at his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. There, it is, there are wonderful pleasures in, that, that God gives to those who follow him. But the pursuit of pleasure itself as an end goal will lead you away from Christ-likeness. Because it will... Where do we experience pleasure the most? In the flesh or in the spirit? It's the easiest place to experience pleasure is in the flesh. That's why Jesus was tempted, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These are all fleshly, carnal things. Now, are there true pleasures in being led by the Spirit? Yes, but they only come through denying the flesh. And that's a whole other realm of pleasure. The other thing I want to say about the pursuit of pleasure is this. 
The pursuit of pleasure is a fool's game because it, is, it, it is an elusive thing. Here's an example. Somebody asked me this question once, and it, it, it highlighted this principle to me. He says, are you satisfied with your salary? And you sort of say, well, not really. You know, I'd like to earn more kind of thing. This was years ago. I was still working in the working world in, for, in logistics. And he said to me, if somebody doubled your salary today, would you be happy? I said, yeah, I'd be really happy if my salary got doubled. He said, great. Would you be satisfied? Hmm. If you could double my salary, you can triple it. You could quadruple it. How about 10 times increase? You see, I, wasn't, I wouldn't have been satisfied with the double. So the whole pleasure is elusive. I'd be happy with it, but then I'd still want more. And the pursuit of pleasure will cause you to compromise on every value that you, that, you, that you profess to have in order to gain instant pleasure or gratification. So my point to you is this. The pursuit of pleasure is a fool's game. That's why James says, you ask and you pray to God to entertain your fleshly desires for pleasure. God's not going to do that. He's not going to answer that kind of prayer. Why? Because God is not committed to the provision of your comfort. God is committed to the development of your character. That is discipleship. And like I said, the Bible says this about God blesses, God maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. You pursue pleasure, you can go find pleasure. You can go to any nightclub tonight, you can pay somebody money, and they will give you all the pleasure you can handle. But it'll cost you. It'll cost you more than you know. Bible says God gives blessing and he add no, adds no sorrow to it. So in other words, I'm saying to you, let that be our pursuit. I don't know why I've taken so long on that point, but you understand the principle here. Why do we struggle? I prayed for this and I couldn't, I didn't get an answer. I've been asking God and I've been asking God. Talk to God about your request. Allow him to examine your heart and your motives. Express your frustrations to him and allow him to speak truth to you. I have found on numerous occasions where I come to God moaning and complaining and griping about how I have done everything expected of me. I have fulfilled my end of the bargain. God, I'm not seeing you come through. I don't think you, you haven't fulfilled your contractual agreement. To which God laughs. He goes, I love you, my boy. Come, sit here on my lap. Let's talk. And he strips me of all my self-righteousness and leaves me there unveiled vulnerable in his presence and calls me back to faith and trust in him, realigns my heart attitudes. I've been sifted, my motives revealed, and I'm dealt with. That's what happens. And then I get dealt with, and then when God does that, he's incredible that he puts us back together with such grace, such gentleness, such mercy. We go out feeling better than we came in, even though we're stripped of all our excuses and our pride. That's what God does. The light of all, sorry, in the light of the scripture, of of the scripture quoted under this, of all the scriptures quoted under this section, we can clearly see the following. Firstly, we can expect every prayer prayed in accordance with God's will and word as a result of time spent in his presence to be answered. God expects us to expect our prayers to be answered. In other words, prayers motivated and inspired by him. Number two, misguided and or selfish prayers have no guarantee of being answered. Intimacy with the Lord is the heartbeat of an effective prayer life. 
Andrew Murray said this, the grown-up son or daughter who lives only for the father's interests and takes charge of the father's business asks more largely and gets everything they ask. He had a revelation and understanding of it. What does a grown-up son or daughter mean? Somebody who's come to maturity. How do you measure maturity in a son or daughter? It's those who are able to accurately represent their father or mother. They have been made, they, they have been raised to represent them, to bear their image, to bear their name. So those of us who have come to a place of maturity in Christ, where we know His will, we, we can sense the leading and the guiding of His Spirit, will pray big prayers, and they will see them answered. Prayer feeds and gives expression to our faith. Intimacy with Christ feeds our faith. And the more we know about God, His goodness, power, faithfulness, etc., the more our faith in Him is stirred. Faith is like a bridge that links our prayers with their answers. James 1, verse 6 to 8 says, But let him ask in faith. He's speaking about asking for wisdom, but the principle remains true for every request we make to God. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This again speaks of intimacy. You, you, you have you know, accounts of, of the life of Jesus where people would come to him and say, like the lepers, Master, we know you're able to heal us if you are willing. So they didn't doubt his ability to do what, to, 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 to heal them. He had doubted whether he would be willing to do it for them. And this is where most of us struggle. We don't struggle to believe God is able to do great and mighty things. What we struggle to believe is that God will do it for me in my situation. And if we haven't got that settled in our hearts, we're double-minded. On the one hand, we think he can, and he might, but maybe he won't, and I'm kind of double-minded. I'm really not, I haven't decided either way on this. The Bible says in that state, I can't receive anything from God because I haven't truly, faith hasn't set itself in my heart as an established thing. So, and another thing that undermines our prayers is sin. Sin undermines and compromises our faith, and thus our prayer life. We should endeavor to walk righteous, uh, sorry, in the righteousness, in righteousness by the grace of God. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, you can say to me, Michael, but we've just learned about righteousness. How can, you, how can you say now if I regard iniquity in my heart? Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, 25. I'll read you a couple of scriptures here. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. So Jesus is now talking about faith. 22 to 23, is, 23 and 24, is, 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 he gives the, the formula for faith. I hate that word, but... But the, the manner in which you believe God, surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, believe those things that he says will be done. He shall have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So he's talking about prayer here. He's talking about asking for anything you want and you're going to have it. And then he says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Does that mean give forgiveness is conditional? 
Yes. Why is it conditional? I thought, I thought forgiveness was unconditional. Yes, God's initial condition, His forgiveness is unconditional in the sense that Jesus paid for everything. Jesus paid for every sin. There's not a sin that Jesus hasn't paid for, past, present, or future. But if I choose to hold on to something, I choose to let that be my millstone that drags me down to the bottom of the ocean. My choice. Why? Because faith works by love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It is patient. It is kind. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of stuff. So if I am not walking in love, if I am allowing bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness in my heart, that is an attitude that is contrary to the heart and to the Spirit of God working within me. How can, my, how can, how can I, with that attitude, be praying Spirit-led prayers? I can't be. I have to let that go. I have to forgive. Another scripture, the book of 1 Peter. I'll read this to you. Chapter 3, verse 7. Speaking about husbands and their wives, it says this. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, in other words, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So I, in terms of my lifestyle, can do things to hinder my prayer life. What are those things? Is it just about how I treat my wife? Is it just about unforgiveness? Folks, let's draw the principle out of those portions of Scripture. When my life is not being led, when I'm not abiding in the vine, abiding in love, abiding in forgiveness, abiding in grace and honor and mercy and gentleness and kindness, does that make sense? How can God work on my behalf and give me his power when within me is something that wants to use that power for personal motive, personal gain, personal dominance? He won't. When we are in the hands of God, we are instruments for glory, not instruments of vengeance, not instruments of judgment, instruments for glory. To demonstrate to this world what he looks like. Love, grace, mercy. Amen? Do you agree? So let's talk about the secret place of prayer. In order for us to be truly vulnerable and open to the Lord to lead us in prayer, we need to have a place where we can feel safe and separated from the world around us. For those of you who have been on our, men's, our last men's camp, we gave each man a book called The Booth by Angus Buchan. Great little book. Just talks about that quiet, secret place that you have to be alone with God. One of the greatest challenges I find with having had children is that they invade my booth. <laughs> I used to have a room all to myself where I could shut out the world. They don't care. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you, when you pray, not if you pray or if you happen to pray, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's read that again, Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, 
refuge. In other words, separated yourself from the world out there. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That is quite a, a promise and quite a saying. That open reward has two ways of, of working itself out. First of all, it has this understanding that when you spend time in the secret place with God, you will change, and people will see the change, and the response to you will be different. The fruit you start bearing will be different. It will be like an open reward where your circumstances begin to change, not just because your circumstances change, but because you have changed in the midst of your circumstances. And because of a spiritual life that is going on without you, you are producing naturally the fruit or the evidence of the kingdom of God within you. Change is happening. So that's the first understanding of it. The second understanding is this. You will pray and ask for things from God in that secret place that will manifest themselves openly. So for example, somebody who spends regular time, consistent time in the presence of God it's going to see the power of God demonstrated through them more naturally and more effectively. Would you agree with that statement? Signs, wonders, miracles, led by the Spirit, all those kinds of things. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom. How will those things manifest themselves? Openly. You will become an instrument in the hand of God. Andrew Murray say, again says, The blessing of the closet does not depend on the strong or fervent feeling with which I pray, but on the love and power of the Father to whom... I there entrust my needs. Isn't that beautiful? So the focus, again, in that prayer closet is not about how much you can read, how long you can pray. It's not about performance. It's about connecting with the God of the universe. Bill Johnson said something that really blessed my heart once. He said, I have more faith in God's ability to make himself heard than I do in my ability to hear God. In other words, when I come, I trust that God is speaking to me. And you know what, for example, if, if, I am, if I am in my bedroom and I want one of my children, I'll say, Leah, if she doesn't hear me, I'll say, Leah, if I'm still not getting the response, Leah, and then eventually, yes, come here. I have a, a way of making myself heard. And sometimes God will raise his voice. Sometimes he'll use a circumstance. Some, the point is this, if we're listening... God won't have to shout. But, I ha but when you go into your prayer closet, have confidence in God's ability to make himself heard. Amen? God will reward you openly. Mighty things will happen. I want to go back to our opening scripture, James 5, verse 16. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. What does that mean? That means my time in the prayer closet makes things outside power available. Let me just show you a little something here, just a bit of wordplay, Siobhan. Can we go to that, that presentation? Okay, we'll leave it there. When you make yourself available to God, available is one word there. When you make yourself available to God, click, He makes you avail-able. Able to avail much. Prayer closet, I make myself available to God. 
And he does things in me that make me avail able. I am able to avail much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But you're not going to avail anything until you make yourself available. Do you understand? Let's talk about consistency. Success in any area of life is only achieved through consistency and discipline. It is no different in the area of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Bible talks about worshiping constantly, praying constantly. How do I do that? It means that I am ever mindful of God's presence and I'm constantly consulting the Holy Spirit within me. Not, excuse me, not necessarily in words all the time, God, what do you think of this? But there's an ever mindfulness of God's presence with me, guiding me. Smith Wigglesworth says, I don't often pray longer than 15 minutes, but I never go longer than 15 minutes without prayer. Talks about a life of consistent intimacy being led by the Spirit of God. Let's talk about the Spirit of God. He's our helper in prayer. God has not left us to muster up prayers of our own, nor does He delight in ritualistic prayers that do not engage our hearts. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, you can open up a prayer book and pray till the cows come home and you're, without your heart being engaged in it. You can recite the Our Father, the Disciples' Prayer or the Lord's Prayer, whatever you want to call it. And you can do how many Hail Marys and you can go to... If your heart is not connecting with God, it is just irrelevant. It would be like me handing my wife a document. That's all it is. What is prayer? Heart connection. Heart communication. Instead, He does the work of inspiring and guiding our prayers. Romans 8.26 And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we pray in the Spirit. Another verse that you can add there is John 14, verse 26. John 14, 26. It says this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. Do you know how much I depend on Holy Spirit every time I try to put together a sermon or pray for somebody? God, how do I pray for this person? God, what do you want to say to your people? And it amazes me how as I'm preparing and I'm thinking through things, this example will come, or this obscure scripture I haven't read for months, maybe even years, will come. Where does that come from? It comes from the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who breathes things into my heart and mind. As I pray in the Holy Spirit, what a wonderful gift we have in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we can pray in other tongues, pray the divine mysteries of God into being and allow Him to pray perfect prayers through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Make note of that. I'm not going to go into all the details of it right now, but the thrust of it is this. Who knows the heart or the mind of a man except the spirit that is within the man? Likewise, who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God? But yet we have that very Spirit dwelling within us. 
So what does that mean? We have the perfect helper who can tell us exactly what the mind of God is on any given situation living within you. The scripture goes on to say, but we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that incredible? We need to learn how to be led and yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Talk about, we've got to, we, are, we don't have too many more, more, more points to make, so I want to just finish this out rather than try and take a break now. Are you guys all okay? Still with me? Point 11, the place of peace. In a world of turmoil and great uncertainty, it's wonderful to know that we can commit our lives and circumstances into the hands of an almighty, all-sufficient God. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing. To which some people will say, yes, I'm very anxious that I'm going to have nothing. <laughs> no, that's not what it means. It means, <laughs> excuse me. it means do not be anxious for anything. How do you do that? It gives us the formula. But in everything, by Prayer, in other words, talking to God about it, sharing your heart with Him about it, what, about what? About what you're anxious about, and supplication, in other words, asking Him your desires, or what is your request in the given situation, with thanksgiving. Say thank you to God for the answer. Let your requests be made known to God. Let's pause. Bible school students, what kind of prayer do you pray where you give thanks to God for the answer when you pray it. What kind of prayer is that? That's the prayer of faith. When you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. Amen? It's the prayer of faith. So here's what's happening. Here's what, here's what Paul's trying to tell us. Don't be anxious about something. So identify what is it that I'm anxious about. But in everything, so in the middle of the situation which brings anxiety to your heart and mind, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So I'm saying, God, this is my request. This is what I'm trusting you for. And I'm thanking you for the answer. I thank you for the breakthrough in this according to your word. Now, I give you thanks for it. I receive it in Jesus' name and I thank you for it. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding. Why does it surpass understanding? Because somebody else is going to come to you and go, how are you at such peace in the middle of what you're going through? It doesn't make sense that you have no anxiety given the situation that you are facing. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Guard them from what? From the very anxiety you came to him with in the first place. <laughs> so in other words, the anxiety will come and that peace of God will guard your heart against it. It will put up a shield and say, no, 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 no. We're not going to embrace that anxiety. We're not going to spend time focusing on that and magnify the problem. I've given it to God. I've thanked Him for the answer. And I just set my eyes up there again. And I have peace about it now. Why? Because I trust God has sorted it out. The matter has been settled. It's done. Nothing more needs to be said or done about it. Finished. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. That is the place God calls us to live from. Those who are Christ's have entered into his 
rest. They have ceased from striving. They have ceased from trying to make things happen. Even in our prayer life, I'm not striving. I'm not sweating and praying and shouting so that I can get God to do things. I spoke to my wife like that, she'd smack me. Right? Well, I don't expect you to say amen to that, but... Why do we come to God with that, thinking we can hustle and shout Him and get, you know, He's so far away, I've got to shout at Him and get Him to to do what I want to. Hello, this is God Almighty, who loves you, who's longing to answer your prayer. Talk to Him. Hear what He has to say. Commit your problem to Him. Sure, let's get emotional on certain things. No problem with that. But the emotion in itself is not going to cause the prayer to be answered. It isn't about feelings, amen? Yeah, sure, if you want to be passionate in your prayer, go for it. That's great. Why? Because... Sometimes it does come from deep inside. Sometimes it's, it's, it does well up from inside because of what's going on. What I'm against is manufactured passion. Oh, I have to pray a certain way. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Peter and John just looked up the man and said, Silver and gold I don't have, but as I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Didn't cause a big fuss. Didn't cause a big scene. Amen. All right. Let's talk about the model prayer. Now, this is not the ritual prayer. This is a model prayer. When Jesus was giving, when he gave them this prayer, let's read the portion of Scripture. Luke 11, 1 to 4. Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. First thing I want you to note here is Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, Disciples, this is how I want you to pray. The disciples saw Jesus praying. They saw his life. They saw his miracles. And they discovered, they realized that the secret was the abiding. The miracles were the fruit of the abiding. In, 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 it was the fruit of his prayer life. And they are the ones who asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. So let's take a closer look. And I made some points here. Like I said, the, the, the prayer that Jesus gives is not a formula that we should pray as is word for word necessarily. But it's... It, it helps us focus our prayers and, and, and gives us a pattern that we can use. First, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This tells us who we ought to pray to. To the Father in the name of Jesus. Folks, we don't pray to Jesus. Why did Jesus come? To restore our relationship with the Father. Dear Lord Jesus, please bless mommy. Please bless daddy. Jesus has done his work, folks. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God seated. He hung on the cross and said, I've done what you sent me to do. I'm finished. It's finished. Not I'm finished. It's finished. We see the language of Jesus when he, when he prays for his disciples. He says, Father, John chapter 17, Father, I, you know, I pray that they would be in you and me and them and them. We understand that we are born again. We come to God through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
The way to who? The Father. Amen? Jesus came, paid the price for our sins so that we could have relationship with the Father. Why do you want to pray to Mary when you can pray to the Father? When I wanted something growing up as a child, I didn't go to my sister to say, ask mom and dad for this. Well, Kyle, I, sometimes I did. If I, thought, if I thought she'd get a yes and I'd get a no, maybe you'd use that. Maybe that's why we do these funny things. Jesus came to make the way. So he says, pray our Father. We pray to the Lord in the name of, the Je- in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. From there, we honor God by giving praise and glory to him. Hallowed be thy name. You are God. You are good. You are wonderful. You are gracious. We give God thanks. We give God praise for who he is. What does that do? It acknowledges, it sets things straight in our heart and mind. You are God. I am not. What you say and think matters. What I say and think is of little consequence. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We acknowledge and submit to his lordship in our lives. We pray his love and kingdom influence over our hearts and into our circumstances. We also pray over the lives of our family and friends and even people who we may not know as the Lord leads us. What does this mean? It positions us to be doers of the word. Your will be done. You know, I think of the, the, the one prayer that in the Bible that really sums up so much of, of the essence of what I think prayer is, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, God, Father, if there is any other way, I don't want to do this. And he's just brutally honest with God. I don't want to do this. I'm, I understand what this means. If there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. And this saying, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's, not, it, it's an acknowledgement of, God, I may be feeling this, or this is what I really desire, or, but nevertheless, regardless of how I feel or what I may want, let your will be done. It acknowledges lordship. Give us this day our daily bread. We acknowledge that God is our provider and our sustainer and ask him to undertake to do so on our behalf. It's the greatest delight of a father to provide for his children. It really is. Why is it I take delight in buying treats for my kids? Because it blesses them. We acknowledge our need also and dependency on him. We, we say to God, God, you are my source. Give us this day. In other words, I'm acknowledging God. Unless you give it, it's not worth having, so to speak. You are the giver. You are the one who blesses. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive anyone who is indebted to us. So we partake of God's love and grace through giving and receiving of forgiveness. We already read Mark eleven twenty-five. This keeps our hearts clean and free from bitterness and malice, making us usable vessels in his hands for his glory. So I want to articulate to you what this usually would look like in a prayer time. So God, I just want to forgive Megan um, because of the way she spoke to me and, and all the rest. And then as I'm busy forgiving Megan, I kind of have to say, and God, Lord, I just also confess that my response to her wasn't great. Forgive me for not representing your love in the midst of that situation. I could have dealt with that better. Thank you for showing me a better way. Is there something you want me to do now to reach out to Megan and show her love or grace or forgiveness or something? Is there restitution that is necessary? Maybe yes, maybe no. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So very often when I am busy in the process of forgiving somebody for what they have done, I realize that my hard attitude is wrong in the first place. Why? Because I somehow feel that I need to forgive them. I feel wronged. <laughs> now maybe sometimes I have been wronged. What is in my heart towards that? You understand? Finally, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is both an acknowledgement of and a plea for God's divine protection from the enemy as well as for his grace in the face of temptation. Look, the Bible is clear. God doesn't tempt us. God tests us, but he is not the tempter, for he cannot tempt us to do evil. So why does he say, do not lead us into temptation? He also promises that he will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can endure. Amen? So what does this mean? It means that there is an acknowledgement. God, I am susceptible to temptation. There is weakness in me. Give me your grace that I will not succumb to temptation. In other words, I acknowledge that I'm not finished article yet. I acknowledge that I need your grace. That's what that prayer is, the heart behind that. So in conclusion, the basic requirements for answered prayer or for, for a vibrant, healthy prayer life are to pray, first of all, from a position of intimacy and closeness with God. Now, he has already taken care of that. It's not that we have to do anything for that. The only thing is we need to have the realization, which is what last week's lesson was all about, that that intimacy has been taken care of. We need to pray according to the word and the will of God, and be in, in other words, have prayers be inspired by him. Pray in faith. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead and inspire our prayer lives. We need to pray consistently. Walk in righteousness, confess sin. In other words, live with righteous consciousness. That way, when you live with a righteous consciousness, you'll quickly identify temptations or even things that you've done that are not according to that. You can easily and quickly repent of them and deal with them. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 9. Confess your sin. If we, what, is it, what is the exact wording? I've forgotten the exact wording. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walk in righteousness. And finally, walk in love. The life of a disciple is founded on and built through prayer. There is no substitute to an intimate prayer life and no greater joy or fulfillment for a believer than time spent in the presence of God. Determine in your heart that you will make prayer a priority in your life. Amen? Prayer, guys, ought to be simple. Like I said, I've deliberately not gone into formulaic prayers, tried to define different kinds of prayers. Oh, I'm an intercessor, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. All I want you to walk away with tonight is a desire to say, God, I realize that you want to speak to me, and you've got a lot to say that I don't know. You love me, and you desire to lead me in your ways. So help me to come, God, to your feet and hear what it is that you have to say. That's the heart of prayer. Questions or comments? Sorry, Nick? I don't know. You know, is that a sin? I don't think so. I don't think that's a sin at all. 
I don't think so at all. They've never experienced that. Listen, I've had, listen, listen, guys, let, let's get out of the, 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 the legality of stuff. I often say this. Sometimes I have quiet times that are so vibrant and God speaks to me and I come out of there feeling refreshed and vibrant. Sometimes I've had a rough week. So let me give you an example. Not this week, but two weeks ago. Tuesday morning, I come to church. Tuesday night, I have band practice. I get home, nine, half past nine at night. Wednesday morning, I have to leave the house by six o'clock so that I can be in Pinelands in time for an early morning prayer meeting. I have a whole day, and then I have discipleship class at night. I get home late again. Thursday morning, I get up early. I need to leave the house by seven o'clock to make it to Somerset West on time. I hardly see my kids. I am running, I am running. I'm... What do you think my quiet time is like come Thursday morning? Good. Sometimes it's not even there. Sometimes I wake up and go, oh God, I slept through both my alarms. Both. I literally, I do. I sleep through both alarms. It's alarming. <laughs> Does that mean God doesn't love me? Does that mean I've missed opportunity? Does that, hey guys, let's not be legalistic about this. Father, morning. Oh, I'll make it up to you. I'm sorry, I'll make it up to you later in the day. Morning, God. I'll miss time with you this morning. Sorry, I know you wanted to speak to me. I want to speak to you too. I'm now not trying to re- I have a relationship with him. He- you understand what I'm saying? Now, that's no excuse. If that's a regular thing every day, you know, come on, then you've got to pull your socks up, okay? But you know what? If I'm tired, I've had a rough couple of days, I go lie on my bed to pray. Look, lying on my bed in the first place was probably not the best idea. <laughs> If you know you're tired, get the dog, go for a walk and talk to the Lord. You know? That's the best idea. You might now, listen, there's actually, I know we digress, but this is an interesting fact. Our brains do not grow new brain cells. Okay? That's that's a com that's a that's a medical thing that's been known for years. However, after a good night's sleep in the morning. There are new uh, connections that can be established, okay? Whereby we can choose what we focus on in a particular way to forget about yesterday and what happened, the stresses, the, the trials, the struggles, the failures of yesterday. And we can set our mind to something new and create new pathways in our brains to set our focus up in a fresh and a different way. Interesting that the Bible says, His mercies are new. Every morning. So every morning you have a new opportunity to train your brain and align your thoughts and get yourself thinking in a particular way. Does that make sense? Yes, I agree. It is the best time of the day. Early in the morning when everything is quiet. Where your heart is quiet. Before you've checked your email, before you've checked Facebook, before you've checked all those other things, you check in with the Lord. Morning, Father. I know for me, God doesn't really speak to me until I've had a cup of coffee. <laughs> we'll put it this way. I don't really hear God very clearly. Until I've had a... And like I said to you, sometimes my quiet times are amazing. Sometimes they're just literally like this. And you, 
you're reading the word and you just it's not really going in. And so you read that passage again, and after three times you're just going, God, I'm not getting it. And does that mean that, that you failed that day? That was a bad day. I think God honors the consistency. I think if, if, if those are the way we measure our quiet times and our prayer time, we're right back into a legalistic, a legalistic set. That it's about how I do, my performance determines my relationship with God. And we've lost the plot. Do I have something to do with it? Yes, I have to cooperate with God. Yeah, of course, if I, I can't expect to have a vibrant relationship with God if I'm not spending time in His Word and if I'm not spending time in prayer. That's foolishness. But at the same time, it's not just the ritual and the word. Do you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you here? With you? Do you understand? Is yours up to three cups of coffee? God loves you and he wants to talk to you. Set yourself aside to be quiet and listen. Open up, listen. When you get up in the morning, Father, I bless you. I thank you for a day. Thank you for new mercies. Lord, I'm going to read the word now and I'm going through this passage or whatever the passage. Father, I pray that you would speak to me through this now. Holy Spirit, I open my heart to you. Talk to me. And read for 5, 10, 15 minutes, however long it is you want. Don't read and read and read and read and read and read and read. And read. Oh, you get stuck in that as well. Choose a set. Decide how far you're going to read and read. God, what are you saying to me through that? And maybe God says nothing to you through that. Well, I want to just pray for Auntie Susie. I know she's going through a rough time. And I want to lift up so-and-so to you and help me to love so Father, this and this and this and this and this. And then maybe three days later, that scripture you read where God couldn't speak to you about anything, suddenly Megan's having a conversation with you and it's right back to that scripture. And wow, he brings all things to remembrance. Now, you put in the time. There was no revelation there. There was no wow factor there. Quite honestly, it felt pretty bland. But three days later, I'm having a conversation, and the whole thing comes to life. I now know why I read that. Meg, I got something for you. Now I'm a conduit of God's love and His blessing. See? Relational. Who wants to close in prayer for us? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.